Welcome to Give and Take. It's a podcast where yours truly, Scott Jones, talks with artists, authors, theologians, political pundits, media people, and assorted others about the lens through which they experience life. My guest is Ryan Egley. Ryan is a graduate of Grace College and Grace Theological Seminary. He has over a decade of successful higher education, enrollment, and marketing experience. He's also an ordained Presbyterian minister, and he planted a church about two years ago that recently closed its doors. We talked for a little while about that experience, and it was a really rich, rewarding, and moving conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. I give you Ryan Egley. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you and have someone live in studio, which is a rarity. Usually stuff, I usually go to people or I do it remotely, so this is fun. And you are currently, you work at Biblical Seminary, right? Yep. So I'm the Director of Enrollment Management and Marketing at Biblical Theological Seminary. And uh, yeah, we are in the process of, we've been in Hatfield, Pennsylvania, out kind of rural Pennsylvania uh, for the last, you know, since 1971. And we're in the process of selling all our entire campus and moving into the city of Philadelphia. So um, exciting times at, at Biblical. Hatfield is well known for meat, right? Yeah, Hatfield hams is, you know, probably what people are most familiar the quality, with. Hatfield. The meats. The yeah, meat, yeah, yeah. The big pig on the, yeah. on the side. Some of the best ham in, in all the country comes out of Hatfield. And aren't you, um, am I right, is it, is it? Uh, that is like the current facility, like used to be a middle school. Yeah. So yeah. all those little junior lockers. We took out all those, oh, but <laughs> I, I, last time I was there, I saw this. I thought that was so cute. Like junior lockers. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. No, it's, it's um, yeah, it's, it's gone through different iterations before it became a seminary in 71, but yeah, it's a, you know, suburban rural campus. Uh, and uh, yeah, so big change for everybody as we, we pick up and figure out where we're going to be in Philly. Do you want to make a big pitch plug for why people should go to, Oh, I mean, I don't feel like I need to make a huge plug, but uh, we're uh, a school that really prides ourselves in being missional. Um, and so our entire curriculum, not just sort of like, it's not just like our marketing thing. It's like in 15 years ago, biblical went from being sort of your traditional monastic kind of seminary to we're going to be completely missional. We're going to completely redo our whole curriculum. Uh, everything's going to have a tie back to how the church functions in society. How do we be uh, salt and light? How do we be in neighborhoods? How do we uh, train pastors and missionaries and lay people uh, to really know their neighbors, love their neighbors, be in the neighborhood, love people well? So uh, it's a it's a unique seminary, I think, in that way, and that's one of the reasons why I took took the position there that I did six months ago. So I mean, that's all well and good, but what about financial aid? Right, that's the big question. Yeah, finance. I mean, so we're accredited, so we give financial aid, so people can. That's go. good. Big yeah. dollars, big yeah. dollars. Yeah, that's good. All right, folks, you can get big dollars there. You heard it here. Yeah, first. that's right. So bef- before this, you were you planted a church mm-hmm. in well, first. You, didn't you? Like 10 years ago, you came to Philly. You went to seminary in Indiana? Yeah. Where did yeah. you go to seminary? Went to a small seminary, uh, Brethren Seminary, called Grace Theological Seminary. In... I've actually heard of Grace Theological okay. Seminary. Wow. I don't know how or where. But... Yeah, small. And Brethren as opposed to Cistern. Yes, uh... yes. And you you moved to Philadelphia. You were going to plant like a house church-based kind of community in like the Northern Liberties-ish kind of section of Philadelphia? Yeah, sort of what happened was, um, you know, I, I graduated seminary. I was one of those guys that went right from college, right into seminary. 
So uh, talking, I'm, you know, 24, 25 so years old. Drenched, drenched in wisdom. Oh, just, just, yeah, unbelievably wise at that point in my life. Uh, no, like totally green, totally didn't understand urban ministry, didn't understand just ministry, simply ministry, uh, let alone urban ministry or what it was like to live in a big city. I grew up in a town of 900 people. Um, so we had a stop sign. We didn't have a stop light. We had a stop sign. You know, that's the kind of town that I grew up in. Grocery store? We had a grocery store. Right. And a gas station. Grocery stores shut down recently, so no grocery store in my hometown anymore. Wow, is it tough to buy ice cream? You got to drive. Yeah, you got to drive on the way back. about fifteen minutes away to get ice cream. Yeah, so, you, can yeah. still, you can still. Yeah. It won't melt at that. Distance, yeah, but. so it's uh, a really small rural town in Illinois where I grew up, but went to sc- school in a small college and seminary, and then right afterwards, my wife and I had convinced some of our friends as I, we were as I was graduating seminary to let's move to a, a city somewhere, do some house church kind of thing. And, uh, just see where God leads. And we sort of, you know, just looked at the map and said, Philly looks good. Let's go to Philly. And we really, we, we really didn't have not even Chicago. Like, no, like no. no, I'll just go straight across. No, I mean, we, we were a different part of the country. We were like an hour and a half from Chicago and we're like, no, let's go to Philly. And so, yeah, we, we packed up our bags and, and, uh, put us like me and, uh, our family and another family, we went into one big U-Haul and drove across the country and, uh, moved into Fishtown. Uh, and that was 2007. Um, is it fair to say that that experience, basically you got your ass kicked a little bit? Oh, completely. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like we, we moved into, and Fishtown, uh, now is sort of like the Brooklyn to Philadelphia, like, you know, super hip and trendy. But in 2007, it wasn't necessarily that way. There were no like, uh, guys with 28 inch waist riding, Fixed gear bikes with shirts like no. down with the mate or um, I'm down with the matriarch. No, thing, like, no, no. Doing wheatgrass shots like there yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, there was like one coffee shop there back in the day. And uh, so it was just starting to become a little bit nicer. But we were uh, we moved into a pretty tough old school block and we were, you know, breaking up fist fights and shooing drug dealers away and. Uh, our car was. Did getting, you literally shoot like shoo shoo? Go yeah, away. Like, yeah like, here's a broom. Like you know, like, I'd say yeah. yeah. I would off, not think they'd be that responsive. Off my stoop. Um. So yeah, we 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 and it was an old school Irish Polish Catholic neighborhood. Uh, and so the 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 depth of what that meant didn't really register to me as a 24 year old coming right out of seminary from the Midwest. Uh, so yeah, so it was a huge, huge learning curve. So, uh, what basically what happened was, as you said, we're getting our ass kicked and we just like said, uh, we got to stop what we're doing. And a guy named Cos Crosscomb actually was one guy who said, you know, just directly stop what you're doing. Like, don't do this. He's like, you know, find a church in your neighborhood that's doing some good stuff that you like, you feel like you can connect with where the Holy Spirit's moving and, and go there. And that's when we got connected with Liberty. So you chose Liberty. Yeah. Liberty Church. Yeah. And what, what did you do? How did you make the transition from, from trying to do this house church kind of thing to, did you just get a, a, like a job doing something like what, like while you went to Liberty North, uh, River Wards or Liberty East? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what I ended up doing is getting a job actually at Holy Family University, a Catholic university. Uh, just worked in their admissions department, you know, worked for a nun. So she, she was my boss. And- uh, real, real stickler. And, uh, and, uh, we, uh, just served at, at Liberty East while I was at Holy Family. And then I ended up actually at Eastern University for a while as okay. well. So I What worked, did you do at Eastern? Uh, I worked in their urban studies department for a year, uh, as their admissions counselor. And then I, uh, got kind of promoted into their marketing department. So I did marketing for the entire university. 
associate director of marketing for did that for three or four years. And at one point did you decide, okay, now I want to get back into the church planning game. Like this is, I want to, you know, I've, I think I've learned some things. I took my licks. Now I'm going to give it a shot. How did that come about? Yeah. So, uh, you know, still serving at, at Liberty, I was, uh, learning from guys like, uh, Pastor Steve Huber, Pastor Joe Marlin, Pastor John Alexander. Um, so getting some, some mentoring, uh, learning what it means to just live in the city and minister in the city. Steve uh, Huber, by the way, is the person that taught me that there's an abbreviation for Acts 29. <laughs> He's like, Hey, this guy's over there, like A29 guys. I was like, what? Actually, I was like, this, are you that busy? It saves you that much time. You don't even get a syllable reduced. That's right. We we're having lunch after that. I was yeah. like, all right, LSG. He's like, what? Let's say grace. <laughs> Those eight two nine guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It took me, I think last year or something, I figured out, oh, wait, there's only 28 ch- chapters in the book of Acts. Yeah, yeah. They're the next chapter. Yeah, it's very, yeah, very cool. So you're learning from those guys. And they're, and that's a pretty, I mean, it's, that's a pretty growing church movement network mm-hmm. in, in, it, it's kind of interdenominational. There are several denominations. Correct. In yeah. Metro Philly. And there's one in Harrisburg too. Yeah. 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 So you decide, Hey, look, this is, I want to, I'm going to, you know, I've got a brand here. They, they, you know, we're expanding and I want to be part of the, uh, the expansion of the, the network. Yeah. And I actually didn't think I'd go back into church planning. Uh, I was first hired. So one of the pastors went overseas, uh, to do missionary work. And so a position opened up there at Liberty East. And I took that position uh, and left my role at, at Eastern University in the marketing world and took the full-time role at, uh, at Liberty in Fishtown. And that sort of was very fulfilling to me. Like I really enjoyed the, the shepherding and the outreach ministries and loving the neighbors and was working with homeless folks and single moms and all that kind of stuff. So it was really a, a, a formative time for me to be just on staff at a church and learn some of those kind of things. Um, but, uh, you know, a couple of years into it, uh, we started to get some rumblings from a different neighborhood from Mount Airy and Germantown. There were some folks from the Liberty churches who were traveling to other Liberty churches that, you know, we had this group of people who were excited about maybe doing a, a Liberty church plan out in, in Northwest Philly. And that part of the city, right, is experiencing kind of a, there's some gentrification kind of stuff. There's some development of economic stuff, right? So it's, it's, it's a different, I mean, that's a, it's a come up and coming kind of spot, right? It's weird because it was up and coming in like the seventies. Um, so there was, there was like this movement. It's a slow burn up and coming. <laughs> there was like these, these, um, sort of well-educated, very liberal sort of hippies from the sixties and seventies that moved and started a community there in Mount Airy. And so there was like this first wave of what we might call gentrification now in like the seventies. And it's always been a neighborhood that's prided itself on multiculturalism and inclusiveness. Uh, lots of different communities live and work together in these neighborhoods. Um, you know, Germantown is uh, right next to Mount Airy. Germantown's a little bit more uh, predominantly African-American, uh, historically African-American. After it was German, it became African-American. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, that's that's the area that we had some folks, some younger uh, young families, some people who were traveling to other Liberty churches that had moved out there looking for, uh, maybe a little bit more room, bigger house, a little bit of a yard, but still in an urban environment close to the city, easy train ride to center city, some of that kind of stuff. So, um, we, we decided to, to take on that, that church plant. And so we sold our house in Fishtown, sold our, left our position there at Liberty East and went out to, to try to start up this, this new church in Germantown, Mount Airy. And 
how long? Like, you recently closed that church. Mm-hmm. So how long was the run? So we moved out there a little over three years ago. Uh, we didn't start worship like right away. So it took some, some months, eight months, I think, to kind of get to know the neighborhood, find a place to worship, gather the, the beginnings of the team to start the church. Um, you know, if, if you're not familiar with church culture, it's sort of like a, think an entrepreneurial startup to a business is sort of kind of the best, maybe secular kind of comparison. And, and about as many of them probably go under as yeah. entrepreneurial. I mean, yeah. like this yeah. is like, I mean, a church plant going under a startup is, is pretty common. Yeah. Oh yeah. Happens all the time. I mean, you're talking, usually they can Go, last. Going into it, did you think yours was going to be the one that didn't? Oh, wait? absolutely. Yeah. Cause nobody probably yeah. thinks they're going to be the one that. Yeah. Yeah. You read all the literature and you say, oh, that'll never happen. Like, you know, to a T it always happens. Like, you know, we, we thought that one of the things they always tell you when you, when you go to church planning conferences, or you read literature is, uh, your launch team, the people that you begin with, your core team that are really committed early on, you're going to lose probably about half of those people within one or two years. And I was like, no, nah, that'll never happen. Our people are really, they're really into it. You should have been like sheep, goat, sheep, goat, 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 <laughs> <Yeah>. sheep. <laughs> yeah. But of course, you know, you lose, you, you lose two like Navy SEALs. All right. Most of you are going to quit. I know it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you go through, I mean, that's super heartbreaking, you know, when, when people who you think are really committed to this thing and you're, kind of getting going and you're excited and then suddenly it's like, nah, you know, cause the, the idea of church planning is always way sexier than the, the reality of church planning. And I think that's sort of across the board too. Um, so once people get into it and see the kind of work that it requires and what, what, you know, everybody's got to be all in all the time, like it's, it becomes really difficult for some people to stick around. So at what point were you, did it become apparent to you that, okay, this thing's got to shot at not making it like it, it, well, i don't know if we're going to be you know vital you know i, I don't know if it what how did were there sign was there writing on the wall was there like did, did you intuit that I mean, mm-hmm. yeah so i mean early on and it's not that like you lose faith early on or anything like that but i mean we, we went through really difficult seasons early on in in the life of the church plant so uh we started off in somebody's home and then we moved to uh, a small uh, urban school. It was a, a Christian school that had a gymnasium and that we, it was about the biggest place that had parking and that fit us. And so we, we started worshiping in this gymnasium and, you know, really early on, it was like the first winter and it was so cold outside. It was like, I don't know, zero degrees here in Philly. And we could not get the gymnasium warm. Like we, it just c- would not heat up. So we had a worship service where the worship leader could not feel the guitar and you could see her breath as she's leading on the guitar. And then our kids room that we had our older kids in, we had a big snow day and the, the roof fell in and just water just streaming down. Are the kids in there at the time? Yeah. 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 So, oh gosh. Yeah. 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 So yeah, there's, there's, there's just water streaming down and there, there was like kids like my sons who were in the Sunday school class. And there was like, after that Sunday, I just remember everybody leaving, my wife leaving, everybody. I'm still there at the, at the gym and I'm just like head down, defeated, you know, just like the, this is insane. What are we doing? You know, some of the, so there are definitely like moments along the way. And every church planner has their sort of horror stories and things that go wrong and funny little examples. But yeah, there, you know, there are 
I think there are. Now we, people are like, look, we're just going to some place that's that's kids' room has a roof. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. I mean, I don't want to be a, 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 a jerk about it, but I got a baseline requirement. Yeah, exactly. I, I want a roof for my kids. Exactly. I mean, yeah. like I have yeah. one at home. I'd yeah. like to have one at church. Some heat would be nice, Pastor. Heat is nice. Heat is nice. Air yeah. conditioning's good too, but heat heat's you know primary. Yeah, yeah. So we ended up moving to a, a church building that was a bit better, but uh, yeah, it was. It's just there. You know, finding a location that works and you can afford and figuring all that stuff out is, is really difficult early on in the life of the church. So, okay. So we could call the, the, the roof and the flooding and the children. That's like beginning signs of like, okay, this is, this could go under. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I had, you know, you know, certainly doubts all along the way. It was funny. The first sermon that I preached, uh, we did a book, uh, you know, book of James and, you know, right from the bat, the first verse after he gets past the greetings is consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you face trials of many kind, because it will basically says strengthen your faith. Right. And I feel like that's, that's part of the journey of a church plant is just, you're going to go through some hard trials along the way. And what you're becoming and what the spirit's doing and how you're being changed and how your people are changing and being changed. Like that's, that's part of it. That's, that's whether it goes under or it grows and flourishes and succeeds. Like maybe that's not the indicator of true success. It's is our faith being tested in a way that it grows our faith, whether or not this thing is here 10 years from now or three years from now or a hundred years from now. Is it tough? Like as it's, as things are sort of not flourishing, right? It's not going to, is it, hard to look at like other church plants that are good doing well i mean is i'm like is is i would guess the envy temptations just oh yeah yeah i mean so we're as you said liberty we were in a network that's doing well church plants are are getting planted and some are going well some are thriving and even you know we we gather around other church planters and try to learn from each other and you hear what everybody's going through and you'll hear horror stories or things that are going not well but then you'll see you know, 10 churches that are going great, or even in your own network churches that are going great and that have gone through some of the hard times and are now on the other side. And you're like, man, if we could just get there, if we could just get to a, a critical mass where we had enough people to worship together. And then, you know, that temptation towards envy and, and looking at other people's earthly success and thinking, man, you know, we're, we're not even close to that. We're never going to be close to that. So yeah. And it's hard, right? Because on one level, right? The pious or spiritual thing to say is this is not a numbers game, right? Yeah. But at another level, viability takes some numbers. Like yeah. there's just a, a group, a number, a, a number of people you need to get through the door regularly just right. to make so it doesn't feel awkward. So there's revenue coming in. Right. There's things like that. That it is a numbers game a little bit. <laughs> there's nothing worse than a cold February Sunday and you've got 20 people there and you know that it costs this much to rent this space <laughs> for that day. And you're like, this is not going to keep paying the rent for the space, let alone a salary or anything like that, you know? So, yeah. Did you like when, when you're struggling for you, was it where you're like, okay, maybe it's the context, maybe it's me. I mean, what were the like hard questions you found yourself asking? Yeah, no, along the way. And certainly afterwards too. So is, am I truly called to be a pastor? Am I truly called to be a church planner? Uh, do my gifts even fit in that, in that world? Uh, you know, did, did we make a huge mistake in planning in Northwest Philadelphia? Where were we, you know, a bunch of stupid white people planning in a predominantly African American neighborhood? Uh, you know, and I, I did everything I possibly could to learn and to get to know the African American pastors and to sit under them and to learn from them. But regardless, no matter what I did in terms of integrating and learning and growing 
Like I'm still a young white guy in a black neighborhood. Uh, and so, yeah, context. And I would guess that the white folks in that part of the city also are, are pretty secular, like are pretty. Oh, they're unbelievably secular. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's blue state secular kind of, it's weird because alongside an African American community that probably has decent church attendance numbers, you know, like, and then you have like the opposite extreme for the people that are most likely probably to come to your church. Yeah. Yeah. So the, you know, just not, not saying anything, uh, politically about like who, who you vote for and what that means spiritually, but just to give you some sense, my voting precinct voted 99.4% for Hillary Clinton and the like 0.6 was not for Trump. Jill Stein. Stein. Yeah. Yeah. Jill Stein. Yeah. Yeah. So like that, that was like the, the political climate of the neighborhood that I was in. Um, and then for the most part, as you said, the, the, the white folks there are uber secular, but uh, along the way though, like it, it, it's, it's just, uh, heart wrenching to see that like what you're doing is just not working, you know, on a really basic level. So it's like you start to question like your calling and, you know, even what am I doing? What, why am I doing this? Why am I keep at it in the, in the preaching and in the shepherding and your people are starting to get discouraged and starting to question you and, you know, come at you from different angles and stuff. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a grind. If What would they ask you? Like, well, what, what are we doing wrong? Like, are yeah, we, like, yeah. What's not, why, why aren't, why aren't people showing up? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So are you like, cause you're not inviting them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the kind of pushback to always be like, you know, my, my default is look, we got to plan to be here a long time. We got to love our neighbors. We got to put in the the hours and the time and we got to show up to events. We got to be involved in neighborhood organizations. We, we got, you know, to really dig into the neighborhood and exegete the neighborhood and exegete the culture. And that's sort of my default. And yet my, you know, folks are like, but it's, it's not working, right? It's not working. We're not, we're not seeing people stay. We're not, white people aren't staying. Black people aren't staying. Like, so, you know, you, you can talk about the different subcultures in your neighborhood all you want, but it doesn't matter. None of them are saying, so what are you doing? You know? Uh, so yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, heartbreaking. Uh, and it, you know, we, we really did as, a, as a church plant, we walked away still loving each other, uh, still caring for each other. Um, you know, deep friendships were formed. Um, so that's all like beautiful, but you know, it was probably the right thing to do to shut it down because we simply weren't seeing the, the flourishing of, of sort of God's kingdom and, and people coming together, uh, you know, who maybe had questions about faith. Like we, we weren't just seeing that kind of impact that you had hoped to see when you started out the church plant. So it was, I think it, it's even to this day, I think it's the right thing to do that we shut it down a couple of months ago. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going and you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. Being a Patreon sponsor is really just you being a patron of an art form you enjoy and are passionate about. So I invite you 
to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David and Winona Babico, Michael Butera, Peter Stegenwald, Samantha Blythe, Sari Graham, Jordan and Danny Morseberger, Josh Redder, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Jonathan Butrin, Ben DeHart, Stephen Rowe, Ben Crosby, John Schneider, Steve Lipless, and Charlotte Donlin. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the show. How long between the decision to shut it down and the last Sunday? Uh, we did two, two weeks. Oh, wow. So you did, so there wasn't much of a, a like a grieving period. I mean, no, we, we decided to shut it down. We had a Sunday where we announced it was shut down. Who did you down. decide that with? The launch team, the, the folks that were kind of like with us from the beginning. Was it unanimous? Um, yeah. I mean, it was like, yeah, it was, we kind of got to a point where some people were, were burnout and, and tired of asking the questions and, and saying like, this isn't healthy for us. This isn't healthy for you, Ryan, as the church planner. Um, you know, so as we all kind of got together, it was, it was pretty clear that it, it, it was time. Uh, so it wasn't a top down. This didn't come from the, the de- denomination. You didn't get called in into the board. No, you're fired. No, no, no. This didn't come from the denomination or the Liberty Network or anything like that. This came from from me and us as as a plant. And what did you do the first Sunday after you closed it? Was the, that a tough? It was an emotional thing. I mean, you wake up and you're not. Oh yeah. Or you're like, thank God, I don't have to go make the coffee and sit in the cold <laughs> building. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, there was a definite sense of relief. Um, cause at that point I'm working full time for biblical. So I'm doing the kind of bivocational thing. So, and I had been doing that for a few months. So, you know, you have to figure out where to do sermon prep, where to do, you know, your congregational care, where do you do your fundraising, where do you do all that stuff outside of your full time role? Uh, so I was kind of in that crazy adrenaline filled running all the time. And so to, to let go of some of that was really healthy and i'm still kind of in that place it was only two months ago so i'm still kind of in that place of detoxing that adrenaline rush of being on the go all the time um so did you go to church the first Sunday? yeah yeah we did where did you go where did we go that first sunday um you know we, we went back to liberty in east in fishtown was i think the first sunday after but since then we haven't landed on where we're going to go to church as a family we've just been visiting other churches in our neighborhood, around the city, other denominations, uh, other philosophies, all kinds of stuff. We're just kind of floating around, checking places out. Right Are you now. enjoying being a visitor? Uh, yes and no. I love being sitting there and, and uh, listening to the sermon and worshiping and not having to think about all the little details that you have to think about as a pastor or church planter. But I also hate sort of the church hopping, just jumping around, not knowing anybody, awkward conversations at, at uh, before and after and at greeting time in the middle and you know all that stuff is gets really draining after you don't you know really know anybody at each church you're going to and my kids are eight and ten so you know it's really hard on them to jump around to a different church every sunday so yeah there's a lot of things that are are cool i love but things that are not cool either how much do you think the struggle with church plants in general is this sort of drift in our culture to the spiritual not religious i mean i read an article a few years ago, Tom Rainer wrote, and he said the sociological factor that most pastors have missed is that the most faithful people attend less. 
So people that would have attended four Sundays most, you know, a, a bad would be three, you know, like two Sundays, they're traveling or this. So like that, but in their mind, they're no less committed. Right. Right. And you got a host of people that, you know, are just, they're Christians, but they're just the, the, that does not necessarily equate to being part of a church for them. Right. And it kind of, you know, like, so they can just kind of, is that, is some of that part of the struggle for anybody doing this now? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was a, a time when you, you, you know, if you had a solid church, you did some good preaching, you had a few programs, you could grow a church. And in some ways in different parts of the country, you can still do that. Uh, where I'm from back in the Midwest. It's funny, right? The ironic thing is the places that don't need, sort of uh, healthy outreach church points because they got so many churches. That's where the churches go, right? Yeah. You're just yeah. like, hey, we got better programs. Our youth pastor can sh shoot sparks out of his ass. Yep. Come on. Yep. <laughs> like, and then you're just going to recruit from other churches. Right, right. And there are places in the country where you can still do that. Um, but in places like Philadelphia, I think it's becoming harder and harder to just throw up a shingle, do some good preaching, a couple, you know, a couple programs, and you, you just can't grow a church in that way uh, that you maybe did 20, 30, 40 years ago. What, what, how did this experience change you the most? Like what was this, this most significant changes that happened as a result of being on the other side of this experience? Yeah. Um, so I'll highlight this by a story. Uh, I, I guess I, I always sort of had this thought and maybe it was just the culture that I was in at Liberty and other places that, that you could, you know, get a church plant going if you had the right, uh, if you had the right look, if you had the right, uh, feel, if you had the right marketing, if you had the, you know, if you had all these things together, uh, you know, you followed the plan and you're going to end up with a thriving, successful church plant. Right. And I think in reality, if, if like the spirit of God isn't in what you're doing, like if, if there isn't something supernatural going on there, like it's just, it's not going to, to take root. It's not going to flourish. It's not going to grow. And so I think I'm in some ways becoming, uh, I grew up Pentecostal. I grew up charismatic and then I kind of leaned into sort of reformed and became ordained Presbyterian. I'm still ordained Presbyterian PCA. Uh, but in some ways I feel like I'm, I'm becoming more reliant, uh, on the spirit and the work of the spirit, uh, for how I see church growth and how I see ministry and, um, less and less on maybe things that shouldn't matter, but you can get caught up in if you're doing kind of, you know, church growth stuff or church planning. And So you went from a second grade awakening guy to a first grade awakening yeah. guy, like Charles Finney. Right. I mean, he thought, yeah, you just, there's a certain, you, you can, you can produce survival. You, you know, there's certain psychological factors and music and things, but whereas you read people in the first grade awakening, like Edwards, I mean, and they, they're, they're clear that that you know i mean they don't know what's going on or why it's happening yeah there's a mystery to that yeah so so you're seeing the more mysterious dimension and the, the appreciation for that that's where i'm at right now um but i'm also still in a in a you know in a place of refiguring out what i think the church is or where my place is so yeah i'm very much back in a place of journey so yeah and i mean i wonder as you process this are you is there, as you're thinking about like what kind of faith community you settle into for this season, or is it kind of the opposite of church? Are you looking for like, a, you're looking for the stable roof, you're looking for the programmatic thing? I mean, do you, does it push you towards a more traditional church offering more traditional sort of services to its members? Yeah, but, you know, it's funny. The churches that my wife and I have been drawn to as we've been looking at churches have been the churches that like aren't sexy at all, <laughs> that, that are like, 
Define yeah. not sexy. Okay, what's a sexy church and what's, what's a- <laughs> yeah? No, like you know, you walk into a church and um, people are like gracious and loving, uh, but you know the the worship style is kind of you know maybe twenty years too old, or the uh, the the pastor maybe uh, isn't uh, you know maybe he's in his sixties or seventies and. Uh, you know, using references from that era, you know, from like 20, 30 years ago. The original Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just sort of like, we've been more and more drawn to like the, the awkward guy who's like, uh, you know, leading worship with a guitar and like doing awesome God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as opposed to, to maybe something that we've been more familiar with for the last 10 years, which is, you know, uh, so, so style points aren't helpful for you at this point. No, in fact, I think it's a negative for me right now. <laughs> yeah. So if you're out there listening to this and you're looking for a wonderful young family, if, if, <laughs> yeah. look yourself in the mirror. If you are at any degree cool, don't apply. No, uh, yeah. yeah, no. I want it as awkward and strange as possible. You know, it, it's it's interesting to me. I, I listened to the last sermon you preached at yeah. the church and you actually quoted from your first sermon mm-hmm. um you actually quoted from the james sermon yeah and you read things i mean it was it was it was very powerful i mean you you were obviously very emotional as mm-hmm. you were reading it. like yeah did the did the words in james how did their meaning change for you mm-hmm. from the first sermon you preached yeah when you quoted from that sermon yeah during the last sermon you yeah yeah so the the context there is it, in the first sermon, I had known the people in my launch team for most of the people I'd only known for six or seven months in a real like intimate way. Uh, and so the, the lines that I wrote were about suffering. Like I, it was basically like, I know that you've gone through these things and how hard it's been. Um, but choose hope was sort of the message in, in, in that choose that God can redeem your suffering and on the other end produce faith. Um, and, Doing that, quoting that same passage at the end, the, the level of the depth of relationship after three years of really hard ministry and life together of arguments of, you know, them pushing me in ways, me pushing them in ways of really knowing their sufferings in even a deeper way than I did at the beginning is why I became so emotional at the end was because I was looking at people who I knew at a much more intimate and deeper level uh, at that point and, and grieving that we were going to lose some of that connection and relationship because inevitably that would happen as we kind of go our separate ways after this thing ends. So most people that, that do startup churches, right? Most of them I would say are on the evangelical Mm -hmm. wing of American Christianity. If they're in, you know, America, the United States, right? I mean, there are people outside of that that are playing churches, but I guess the majority of them, if you're going to church planning conference stuff, are, are in some form of evangelical mm-hmm. movement. I wonder, do you think, are there are there things you see in that tradition theologically that don't serve it well mm-hmm. in, in sort of as they're trying to sort of do startup communities, especially on the coasts or in urban areas? Mm-hmm. I mean, are there, are, there, are there things about that tradition that, don't suit it well or are very challenging for, for our context now? Yeah, I think so. And maybe this isn't even theologically, but sort of philosophically there's, I I was at a a church planning thing here in Philadelphia and it was almost exclusively young white evangelicals, right? 
So there's, um, and there was a sense in these meetings, uh, that it's this young, uh, white and predominantly male <coughs> evangelicals are somehow the heroes in this story. Like they're the ones that are really, you know, out there doing God's work and they're going into, to the city and they're, they're, they're doing their thing. And this is really what God has ordained. And it's really, you know, they're the heroes. Um, and I think the reality is, is that it, if you're being honest with yourselves, that we're just, we're, we're coming in with the worst of gentrification and importing that into churches with a kind of almost a colonizing kind of mentality. Uh, whereas, you know, in reality, the heroes are, are not the pastor on the ground or not the young white evangelicals. They're the churches that have stayed in urban environments for the last, you know, 150 years and have flourishing churches in different traditions, whether it be, you know, Pentecostal or the Catholic church or others that have stayed and been anchors in these neighborhoods, not it, the heroes are not the young white church planners. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I worry that, and I worried this for myself all along the way, uh, that, you know, I was being told you're doing great. You're doing God's work. You're raising, you know, and that's how you raise your money, right? You're raising money, uh, because you're the hero of this story. And in reality, like it's what you probably should be doing is putting yourself under the authority of those who've been at it a lot longer and where the Holy Spirit's been moving for a long time. And you're just jumping into what God's doing. Do you think, I wonder how much, I mean, if you're in a place like Metro Philadelphia and so many people just because of the kind of education they've had, the sort of culture there, I mean, they're, my guess is their thinking, their imagination is not right away inclined to the Christian tradition. Like there's a lot of hoops to jump over a lot. Of, I mean, how, I wonder how much do you think that, how much does a church planter today in, in, a, in, a, in a metro blue state coastal kind of area have to be good at making sense of the faith for people that are skeptical and yeah. have real fundamental questions yeah. about basic things of the Christian tradition? I mean, is it, I mean, because I, I, I wonder how important a skill is that? Yeah. No. So, like, you know, we mentioned earlier Steve Huber. And really, you know, I look to him as one of the guys who knows how to do that uh, at such an instinctual, deep level. He can sit down with somebody who's totally uh, questioning or an atheist or an agnostic and get right at some of those core questions and answers and answer them in a way that's helpful and winsome and encouraging and doesn't push the people away and invites more questions. And so I've just seen guys who and women who have that kind of, uh, it's a gift is the only thing I can call it. Uh, I don't feel like I have that, uh, same thing, but yeah, absolutely. I think if, if you're going to be in a, a, a church planning kind of context or just a ministry kind of context going after those religious nons, right? Like that's, you, that's part of your, that's got to be part of your, your gift mix. Like who at biblical seminary, what reading that is assigned kind of connects with that part of the calling. I mean, like what, what, what the professors assigning like specifically addresses that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, Newbegin and others like the, certainly in the missional movement, you, you go back to, to Henry Nowen and Newbegin and some of those guys. And those, those are definitely uh, part of what we think about. Um, But too, like just having practitioners who are professors, so Q-Bomb Lee is one of our professors. He's a church planner for, you know, 10, 12 years uh, in Germantown. Um, 
you know, so people who have been you know, practitioners in urban Philly is really helpful too, to be part of leading those discussions beyond what you're reading, but also what, what you're getting in content in the classroom. So if you were going to, if somebody was planning a church and they, they came to you and said, Hey, I'm going to do this. Like what, what would you say? Yeah, no, I would say, um, well, first of all, take, don't do like what I did right at the beginning and don't just jump in thinking like you're green to a, a neighborhood or a place like Philadelphia. Don't do a parachute thing where you're just going to come in and start a church and, you know, make it happen. I would say that same advice that Cause Crosscomb gave to me years ago is like, get yourself in a neighborhood, find a church that you see the spirit moving in a lot of different ways and learn there for a while before you do anything. And even if you do do that, as I feel like I did in some ways with Liberty, don't expect that just because on the other end that you've done all the right things and you've done all the, followed all the right advice that it's still going to, to flourish and grow. That's, there's no guarantee there in this life of, of faith, this life of ministry or church planning. What was the thing about the experience that pissed you off the most? Maybe oh, the most angry. That's an interesting question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think the fundraising probably. Yeah, I, that's probably it. Like I, 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 I did not enjoy, you know, going out to try to go after denominational groups or organizations or, um, you know, f high end donors and try to convince them this is worth giving to. Uh, it's, it's a weird position that you put pastors into and church planners into if they've got to try to raise that money to make this thing happen. So yeah, it's same, it's same thing with politicians, right? I mean, it's so interesting. Like if you're going to run for town council, the first thing people want to know is like, what's your fundraising capacity like? And then, Every level you go higher, that's it. That game increases. So then, after people are making some of the most important policy decisions for our country, all they're doing all day is dialing for dollars. Yeah, yeah. So you spend you know thirty percent of your time fundraising when that's really significant time that you could be pouring into your people or to the neighborhood or connections and relationships. So, yeah, I, I really resented every bit of fundraising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure I, I it'd, be, it'd be interesting to find. People are like, yeah, that's my favorite part of the gig. I yeah. love dialing for dollars. <laughs> big, asking big people with big money or, so that have nicer things than me and yeah. get their club or right, whatever it is. Right. Please give me money, right? <laughs> so do, do you want to do this again ever? Do you think you'll plant another church? You know, it's funny. I've been processing some of this with, with my mentors and doing where, you know, I'm going to be entering into a season of counseling and other things as well. Uh, around my career and calling and what's next. And I, I love what I'm doing at, at Biblical, um, but I still have a really strong sense of call and desire for the local church. Uh, I love the local church. So I, at this point, I, I, I have a hard time imagining myself as a, as a church planter again, uh, but I don't have a hard time imagining myself as a, an associate pastor or a support role at a church or an elder or something, something like that. But yeah, so I, I still have a strong passion and desire to do it uh, do church life and ministry somewhere. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure about church planning at this point. Ryan, thanks for spending some time talking with me and I wish you well in your season of discernment and I hope all the best for you. Thanks brother. Appreciate you having me. It's a pleasure. And pleasure is all mine. Thanks for listening to give and take. If you like what you heard, please do a couple things for me. They are so helpful. If you do them, Share this interview on social media or via email or tag someone in a tweet or something and say, hey, this is great. Check it out. Spread the love and goodness if you've found it here. Also, if you could go, please, 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 it takes like 60 seconds. Go to iTunes and write a review and give it 
give a rating to the podcast. It really, really helps, especially as things are getting off the ground. And if you want to consider becoming a Patreon sponsor, you can just go right to the link on the podcast page, giveandtake.fireside.fm. You can find all the information there. Thanks to Ryan for coming on the podcast. And thanks again to you for listening to Give and Take. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.